All right, so it's really great meeting together, um, and, and I think it's fitting that God commands us to not stop meeting together because it is encouraging, and I hope you feel the same as me. Like, I just feel so encouraged when other believers are with me because other people get what I'm feeling, um, and so it's awesome um, with that. And so today's sermon is going to be a little unique. When I fill in, I usually do verse by verse, uh, but a few, like five months ago, maybe four months ago, I was teaching at our young adults group C4 uh, in the book of Daniel. Uh, and one of the subtopics was spiritual warfare, spiritual battles. And the last four months, I've been just meditating on it. And I feel that the Lord is, is prompting me to share some of the things that I've gone through um, and some things that I, I believe that God will use to edify us, to encourage and to strengthen us today. So we're not going to be looking at a one uh, verse by verse nature, uh, but before you throw like tomatoes at me, we are going to be looking at the Bible. So this is not just Kevin's thoughts. Um, actually, there's a lot of scripture, so you're going to be like, oh my goodness, there's so many. But uh, I hope God blesses uh, and I trust God will do that. Um, so on that note, let's pray uh, for God to be with us. Lord, uh, as it was prayed earlier, Lord, we know that a human's words and reasonings cannot do anything um, outside of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and we know that a, a, any type of speaking, any type of song can do nothing um, outside of your spirit, Lord. So we pray that you would be here, Lord. We thank you that you um, promise that you'll be here as well, Lord, and we ask that the distractions that are going through our minds today uh, from our lives would go away, would fade away, so that your word and your spirit can speak clearly uh, to each heart and mind, Lord, and that you would give me the words to speak, Lord, even if it means throwing out notes or whatever it might be, Lord, we just want your name to be honored um, and glorified, God. And uh, we know that there is a battle, uh, but we also know there's a victory that has come and will be finished, and we rejoice in that. Um, but Lord, as we are on this earth, we pray that we would be faithful servants of you um, and that we would um, represent you as ambassadors well. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be going through really three main things. The first is the definition. What is spiritual warfare? What is a spiritual battle? There is so much out there on this topic, so wanted to give you a few scripture to help us in that area. Then wanted to go through the spiritual warfare and spiritual battle is battles in the Bible, because uh, we know this is true. This is our guidebook. This is the word straight from God. Uh, so we're going to go through that, which I think we can glean a lot from. And then lastly, what does it look like today? What does this mean for us? So we're going to get very practical of, okay, this is a truth, a fact that we are in the midst of this battle. Now what do we do um, in that truth? All right, so the first thing, what is spiritual warfare? And, and it is hard to nail down an exact definition, um, but I wanted to pose a few verses to kind of help us get a, a feel of what it might be. And the first one is Ephesians chapter 6, 12, a very common spiritual warfare uh, passage. We're not going to go through it in entirety, just one verse. So Ephesians 6, verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the battle that the scriptures talk about throughout is not that we are battling against other humans, even though that's what all we see. And so we, it's very tempting for us to look at, oh, that person disagrees with me. They're my enemy. But rather, it's, it's the rulers and the authorities, um, the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly places. And so it is against those with authority and power that are in the battle, if you will, on the other side at least relative to us. And so this is not a flesh thing that we need to start waging a, a physical war, even though in history um, Christians have done that in some cases. But it is a war of the spiritual realm um, that we are in the midst of. The next verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive 
to obey Christ. So again, it's reiterated, and there's multiple other passages, the war is not against flesh. But we are also given weapons to not only survive against, in a sense, the heavenly realm, but also thrive in this battle. And in this case, specifically in 1 Corinthians, we see that warfare can even be with thoughts and truths and lies. So words is spiritual warfare in a, sen- in a sense of there can be false teachings and things like that and deceiving that are part of spiritual warfare. And we'll go into that a little more of, of when we talk about today's spiritual battles is that it's actually words that can be part of the spiritual battle. It's not a flesh thing. But at the same time, we can be encouraged in this spiritual battle, in this spiritual realm, that we are not left weaponless, that we are not left without defense. We are not left um, as useless, as helpless, but we are given every opportunity, as it says in Corinthians, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. And we'll go through that but, and the, uh, more later, but the solution, the, the argument or the idea, the, the message that we have is the gospel itself, which is the power of Christ in us. And so we have a power that the, the evil one, that the evil realm has no power over. So we have the greatest weapon in the gospel, which we'll go through in a few minutes. And then the last verse in the definition phase is this, James 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And and notice, it doesn't say, okay, these people, make sure you submit yourselves to God, or, oh, the disciples, the, the pastors, the teachers, the deacons, submit yourselves to God. This is talking to all believers. And so I think this is important, this verse. Yes, we'll talk about the resisting and stuff, but this is applicable to all people. And you might be like, well, I don't go do street evangelism like Kevin, or I'm not teaching a Bible study or whatever. So I'm not in the battle. I'm just kind of an observer. And I'll pray, I'll pray for him, but I'm not really in it. But this is saying that we all are in the battle for our souls. We are all in the battle of the heavenly realms. But praise be to God, we are not fighting it alone. And so this warfare against the rulers of darkness is given a common name, the devil. Um, as some people call him Satan. Uh, whatever you call him, uh, we'll go through kind of who he is in the history of things. Um, but we have to remember that this warfare engages all people. So this message is not for a few of us, but for all of us, that we all are in this battle of the spiritual realm. And so it gets personal in this passage that you have an opportunity today to respond to, whether you resist the devil or not, or if you submit yourself to God or not. We all have that opportunity to respond to God. Will we give in to the enemy, or will we submit to God, resist, and flee? And so spiritual warfare, as kind of a conclusion of just those three verses, is a battle amongst the heavenly realm, but the souls of humans are at stake. And the souls of our lives and the souls of those around them are what is being fought over at the end of the day. And there is eternal perspective, eternal impact on this battle. It is not a temporary one, but it is eternal in, um, in, in nature. And just as a warning before we go into some of the history and the, and the applications later on, a lot of times people either under-focus or over-focus on spiritual warfare. And so a lot of times, the over-focus, we go around every corner thinking there's a demon waiting for us. Um, Sometimes we might think that every sickness is demonic, when in reality, a lot of sickness is because of our fallen nature, because bodies are failing, because bodies don't last forever. These are temporary tents. So not everything is a spiritual warfare. Some of it's natural. Some of it's the flesh that we are given for this time. Sometimes people um, just say, oh, we got to like scream at the, de- the, the devil. I'm, I'm not preaching on that today because we're not called to do all these different things about just like focusing on the devil because we know in the end, and sorry to spoil it, but the devil loses. We know who wins the battle, so we don't need to over-focus on him. But at the same time, some people under-focus on the spiritual battle And I think a lot of times in the evangelical church, that is the case, that everything is explainable by human means of, oh, it's them, and it's because of this reason or that reason or that 
latest media thing that they said or this latest whatever it might be, that everything's explainable by human means. And yes, they recognize God, and you might recognize God and the gospel, but we really don't even think about Satan, the spiritual realm, and everything that is going on around us. And I would say that also is not biblical, as there very much is a spiritual battle within Scripture and within our lifetime today. And so the goal today is not to overfocus on spiritual battles so you're thinking about it every three seconds. The goal is to have a healthy balance of there is a spiritual battle going on amongst us based on scripture, and now how do we react in a biblical, Christ-centered, God-centered manner? And so the goal today is to have that healthy balance of the truths of spiritual warfare. So let's go through a brief history of spiritual warfare because there's a lot of stuff we can glean from through the scriptures because we know the scripture is 100% inerrant. It's true. It's from God himself. And so the goal here of the history is to show that it's biblical to believe in spiritual warfare. Um, And also, secondly, that it will show us what has happened in history So past, but also we can understand the future of the battle as well. And and it is in God's nature to not only tell us what has happened, but will happen. In the New Testament and the Gospels, Jesus says he no longer treats us as servants, but as friends. He tells us what's going to happen. He doesn't hold back, if you will. He tells us the end of the story. Praise be to God that he does that. So the first question of the history of spiritual warfare is when did it begin? Um, And I think we can turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, to consider this. It says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And you might read that verse and be like, what in the world is going on? And it's okay, because it's, it's, there's some confusion of, oh, who's this person? Who are these things? Um, this is referring to Satan, to a, an angel. He was an angel um, that was in the presence of God. He's the O'Day star, if you will, that he has fallen from heaven, it talks about. And, and it shows that Satan was an angel, so he was in God's presence. And we'll talk about what angels are in a little bit. But he wanted to take the place of God and was in turn thrown out of his position. And you can also, we won't read it today, but if you want to look at Ezekiel chapter 28, on your free time this week, you can, it goes into a little bit more of Satan's downfall from the heavens. And it says that in there and in this passage combined, it says that Satan was proud because of his beauty. He was filled with violence even though. But he wanted his core sin, if you will, his core rejection or, or core sin that caused the casting out of heaven was he wanted to take God's place. It said uh, in in this Isaiah passage, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. That's Satan speaking that to God. So Satan's like, I want to take your throne. I want to be above you, God. And I would say that is really the start of the spiritual warfare. We don't know when that exactly happened. It was sometime before man was created. That's all I have for you. It's sometime before then and after angels were created. But this was the start of spiritual warfare, the pride of Satan, and what we've learned from Ezekiel, um, also his violence of some sort. Maybe when God told, told him no, he started to become violent. Whatever it might be, the angels also, there were some angels that followed Satan. And so that's the beginning of the spiritual warfare that we are in the midst of. And so it's helpful to understand kind of the origins of it. And you'll see that a lot of the same things that Satan did in that scene of being prideful, of wanting to dethrone God, aren't we seeing that today through people? So it's interesting, Satan's deceptions and tricks and desires don't change over time. And so it's interesting that a lot of the false teachers of our day crave the limelight, the fame, They want to be on the throne instead of God, and it seems very similar to the original deceiver. 
All right, so it goes on, the history. It says, the, the, and the first example with an interaction from a human. Because fr- from something happening in heaven, it's like, okay, but I've never been to heaven, so it doesn't really impact me, so I'll ask God when I'm there. But this is very much a human impact battle. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Probably a very familiar passage, so we're just going to read the two verses. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat any tree of the garden? And you can read on, and and you know the end of the story, that Satan, um, in the form of a serpent, in the form of a snake, um, came, and he started questioning God, started putting questions into Eve started putting thoughts where it's like, maybe God's not true. He, she, he started to deceive her. And so this is the beginning of the spiritual battle coming to the human realm that we live in today. And it has been here ever since. But it's important to note in this first interaction, which will help our application, is that Satan deceived. Yes, Satan said words that that caused her to question God and ultimately for both Adam and Eve to disobey God. But Adam and Eve ultimately made the decision to sin. And so it's an important truth that Satan does not make you sin. Satan tempts you to. He deceives you to think that it is good, that it is right, that it is beneficial to you even. But he does not make the decision. He does not have authority to make us sin. And so we'll go a little bit more into that later, but this is a good passage to remind us that he just was putting those seeds of deception, the questions in. And so spiritual warfare does not take the place of human responsibility. And unfortunately, there are people, especially those that overemphasize spiritual warfare, of, oh, the devil made me do it, or all, all, it's all because of the spiritual realm's fault. No, God, through scriptures, throughout time, has had, the responsibility is on mankind, on humans, men and women alike. And so Satan deceives, but he does not cause us to sin. All right, so the next level of, uh, not level, or the next instance of spiritual warfare is really seen throughout the Old Testament. Um, you look at throughout the Old Testament, throughout Abraham and all of the people of his descent, the Israelites, um, I know those going through the Wednesday night study, just, there's so much that goes on over the centuries. Uh, where do you even start where the battle was? Uh, we Just some examples, we have Job, where Satan is tormenting him. Uh, but only after getting permission from God, showing who's in authority. It's God, not Satan. Um, There's God choosing Abraham, calling him out of his current pagan worship. So it's that spiritual battle of who are you worshiping. We have the plagues out of Egypt that no human hand did. It was God who did it, that he was fighting for and on behalf of them. There's a host of stories. Um, We have the multiple appearance of angels or even Jesus, the Son of God, coming to the earth. The Christophanies, if you will. The spiritual realm is very much evident throughout the Old Testament. There's so much more going on than just two humans fighting. And even if you look at the human battles of Israel for the promised land, all of the the um, fighting of the, the cities and, and all of those stories in the Old Testament of, of like two, two armies fighting together, all of those things seem very human in nature, which they are, they happen, they're historical events, there's uh, archaeology to back it up and everything. But I think one verse in Joshua chapter 23, 3 shows us a lot, and there's a lot of verses like this. But Joshua 23, it talks about Joshua recounting all the things that God had done through Israel, bringing them to the, out of Egypt to the promised land, and all the miracles that he did. And Joshua 23, 3 says this, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. And you might think some like manly man warrior from Israel heard that and they're like, hold on a second. I just went into battle my whole life. Like, that's not fair. And so there's this temptation of, oh, humans did it or the people of Israel were nice and strong. But God is making the clear reminder, the Lord, your God, is the one who has fought for you. So those battles that were won were not won because they were the best warriors. They were won because God intervened. And we look at some of the the battles even where God literally made the sun 
stand still for 24 hours. What human can do that? So there's example after example. But isn't it so interesting that a lot of times we have victories, if you will, in our lives, victories even in our spiritual life, and we start to get like, man, I'm getting pretty good. I'm getting pretty mature. I'm, this is awesome. But we have to remember that any battle that you win, it's because of God. Any battle that we lose, I would say basically every time that I could think of is because of me, is because of us. And so God is the one fighting in these battles, even though they may say human, feel human and seem human. Yes, there's human responsibility. Yes, the people had to go into battle and have boldness to do that, to walk in obedience to God on those battlefields, on those times where there was no food. Yes, there's human responsibility, but ultimately at the end of the day, God is the one who's fighting um, and winning those battles for them. And so we need to acknowledge God's work in the midst of the Israelites, in the midst of the history of the Bible, and also in the midst of our lives, that God is actually behind the scenes, whether we like it or not, whether we think it or not, whether we see it or not, he is the one fighting on our behalf. He is the one even giving us breath to live, because no one chooses to breathe. No one chooses, in a sense, to wake up each day. God is fighting in our midst for our lives. And that is good news for those who are children of God. And then the next historical through the Old Testament, the spiritual battles that we're, we're facing is we're seeing angels throughout the ages. And remember, I mentioned Satan being an angel and a fallen angel. And it talks about a third of the, the angels followed Satan. Um, and so angels very much exist both on God's side and also on Satan's side. So what is an angel? And we're not going to spend much time on it, but they are not the angels that you probably see on TV, you know, like those halo things or whatever. Uh, halo reminds me of Halo Farms, so I just, man, I want ice cream. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they are not halo-like filled angels. They're, they're not biblical. Angels are created spiritual beings with emotion, with wills, with intelligence, but they're not necessarily physical bodies like humans, and they're definitely different than humans. And we see throughout scriptures of differences between angels and humans. And so, um, sorry to burst your bubble if you think this, but we do not become angels when we die. Angels are created beings that are separate from humans, um, that the angels that serve God are also serving us, which I'll mention in a minute. But throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scripture, angels were made to worship and serve God and also to serve the elect, which sounds kind of weird that angels are serving you, but it's biblical. Um, so I'll show that in a minute. But first, I want to turn to Daniel chapter 10, verse 13 and 20. So just two verses. This is actually the verse we went through um, in the C4 Young Adults group that was really interesting and, and caused me to really just meditate on these things for the last five months. And it says this, and this is the angel in a vision um, speaking to Daniel. It says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And then verse 20, Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. You might be reading this verse and like, is this even in the Bible? <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, bring me to Jesus, like the gospel. But these are things that are happening. And so this is an angel speaking that he is um, fighting with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Um, you can take this different interpretations, um, whether the angel that was speaking here to Daniel was, was literally fighting a human, but I would venture to say that it is a demonic power that is over the kingdom of Persia that this angel was fighting. And if you notice that it withstood me 21 days, and that's where we know it's not God because God wouldn't take 21 days to defeat him. This is an angel fighting on uh, behalf of God to these people. And then he called in Michael the archangel uh, for backup, essentially. And Michael the archangel was like the, is known in the scriptures as kind of the, the leader, the general of the angel armies, if you will. And then it goes on in verse 23, talking about he will return and fight against the prince of Persia, which is the Medes and Persians empire. It's historical. You can look it up. And then it says, eventually the prince of Greece will come, referring to the empire started by Alexander the Great. And the, for those history buffs, that, that actually happened. 
And so the book of Daniel is incredible with the amount of prophecy, but it's so interesting because it gives us a view behind the scenes that there is more going on than what meets the eye. And the same angel, the same God who's fighting on and behalf his people and against the enemy is still fighting today. And yes, victory is guaranteed, and we'll talk about the end result of that, but this is a a battle that is real, that is happening around us, whether we see it or not. And again, as a reminder, we don't need to overfocus and say, oh, there's an angel right there. He's fighting that guy because he's evil. We don't need to over-spiritualize it, but something in the spiritual realm, there are fights, there are battles, there are wars going on. And so we don't know the details, but we know that there's a spiritual battle, and that is a truth. And this is a fight with the angels serving God and those fallen angels and humans opposing the work of God. There's a spiritual battle behind the scenes. And then the other thing with angels that I I included it here in the Old Testament because I think it's fitting that we combine the angels. But Hebrews 1.14 says this. And this is referring to the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 compares Jesus to the angels, how Jesus is greater than the angels, which seems pretty obvious to us, but a lot of people have struggled through it. With, throughout history. So it says this in verse 14. It says, Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so angels throughout the scriptures were messengers, were warriors, were servants, etc., in the midst of spiritual battles. But did you know that the God of the universe, who created all things, is in control, keeping everything together, he cares about you individually enough to send his army on behalf of us to serve us. And that is not something we should go like, oh, where's my angel? Where's my guardian angel? We're not going to see them, to be honest. But we're going to see the evidences of, wow, God saved me from that? How did that happen? That was a close call. I put myself in a foolish position. And God can, can and will send out to serve for those who are to inherit salvation. And that shows how much God cares about you, that how much power he has to control and to care for you, that you will not die one day before God determines it, that not one hair will fall off your head without God knowing about it. And that to me, and I hope to you, is encouraging that though the spiritual battle is raging and it sounds intimidating and and scary at times, we know that God and his angels are here to serve us, to protect us from the evil one. And we can go in confidence knowing um, that God is with us. So let's go on to the New Testament, a few more history points. Um, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 1 and 2, and I'll just read it. It's a famous account. But it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And so Jesus is not too big for the human spiritual warfare, if you will. He experienced it just as we will um, on this earth. And so he was very much a real human. He was physically going in the wilderness. He felt hungry, which I know some of you have felt. Um, God felt the same as well. And in the midst of every human, uh, this very human physical nature, there was also a spiritual battle going on in the midst of Jesus' life. And so it goes on in that passage that you can read on your own. It's, it's fantastic, where the devil was trying to tempt Jesus with food, with authority and glory, showing that Satan has authority on this earth in some ways. Um, and lastly, Satan tempted Jesus with doubting his faith and belief in God, as he said, to jump off the temple of God. Jesus fought back with the word of God, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, that God gives us ammunition, God gives us the weapons, he gives us the defenses to defeat the temptations, the evil one, the people that we face that are challenging, that God gives us this this, um, preparation, and Jesus exemplifies it himself. And the next one, Jesus, again, casting out demons, Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. Um, And it says this, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, 
and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so the spiritual realm existed during the time of Jesus, as we see here. But notice that not everything was spiritual. In verse 14 and 15, it talked about uh, Peter's mother-in-law had sick with a fever. Jesus didn't say, like, you demon, get out of her. No, she was just sick with a fever. But God also has authority over sicknesses as he has authority over the demon-possessed. But we have to be careful to not over-spiritualize things. People get sick. But we still do know that God is in control of those things as well. And there are days, times today even that there is actual demon possession. And as Jesus and as the New Testament scriptures um, give us the authority also over those things, that we need not fear over those things as well, that they are real. We don't have to like, go looking for them. They will come. But we, they have no authority over the name of Jesus. And we have the name of Jesus on our side. And so he gives us the authority over those situations. And then we go on to the New Testament, some more spiritual warfare, which this one will look a little different. We, we've been going through the book of Acts, and you can see the evidences of spiritual warfare as well. There's some demon possession, but it's minimal, and I think that's fitting for our day today too. You're not going to see a demon every day, but you're going to see spiritual warfare. And a lot of times in the book of Acts, we see this with heavy persecution, does not Satan want the believers to be gone? Does not want the, Satan and the evil ones want Christians to go through intense trials so that they would renounce their faith? But praise be to God, those who are saved are always saved. Those who are saved cannot lose their salvation. But there was intense persecution. There was also deceivers coming into the church to try to disunify attacks from the outside, attacks from the inside. And one example from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 to 15, which shows some of the things that were even going on in the book of Acts. It says this, for such men, and he previously talked about some false teachers and things like that, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And so look here, Paul's saying that these people are false disciples. He's calling out specific actions that are considered false teaching and deceitful. And he, he equates them with Satan disguising himself as an angel of light. It's, he says, no wonder for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So false teaching at its very core is a work of Satan according to the scriptures, according to Paul. Whether the person knows it or not, they may not be malicious in nature, but Satan loves to deceive, loves to point false doctrine and false teaching in people's mouths to deceive people so that they can be pushed away from God. And so Satan is a deceiver himself. He will use deception throughout his reign on this earth. And we need to, in response to that, continue to preach the gospel and hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to the scriptures that have been under attack for the millenniums, that people always try to get rid of scripture or twist scripture or use one scripture to create a whole new religion or new truth. I'm reading a book on church history and nothing is different from now, from two, like 1,800 years ago. A lot of the same false teachings are still in existence, and it shows that Satan really does not have many too, too many new tricks. And we can hold fast to that scripture. This scripture has uh, held the test of time, and it will until the end of the ages. And so these are things in the scripture that are very clearly spiritual warfare, though they may not be the demonic in, in nature. We might not see a, a demon running around or someone demon-possessed, but we will see the works and the evidence of Satan coming around us. And as we go into some practical things, um, we're going to see demon possession. And I was talking to my wife just the other day um, of an experience last year on, on the boardwalks uh, in the streets where it was clearly this one guy was demonic possessed. There was no like alcohol or anything involved. It was all the evidences of, of, 
of Satan trying to deceive and push people away from God. And so we're going to see that, but it's, it's rare sometimes. So don't, you don't have to go on like the search for a demon. And I, it reminds me of like, you know, the Pokemon Go game? I don't know, some of the younger kids probably, you're like, oh, find the Pokemon. It's like, we don't need to go find the demon. They'll come as they come. We just need to be faithful in sharing the gospel. We don't need to look for trouble, just share the gospel. And so we don't, I'm not going to go further into demon possession than that, but we do know that God has given authority in the name of Jesus, that you can pray for those people that are possessed, and God will not allow you to be hurt by them, and God will not um, allow um, them to have authority over you in the name of Jesus. But the majority of us here may not have had experiences with angels or demons, so does that mean we are not mature enough? Absolutely not. And so what I want to kind of go through is what does some spiritual warfare look for us today that may not be as evident as spiritual warfare, but is very much in the spiritual realm. So what does spiritual warfare look for us today? And the first thing that I believe every single one of us can relate to is being tempted to sin and also the trials and the challenges of life that also sometimes cause us to be tempted to sin. And so I know all of us have gone through this. And, and Satan and, and the evil ones, they know what our weakest temptations are. And just think about those times. Think about your weaknesses. I don't know what they are. I know some of mine. That I know that my weakest temptations are always the thing that come up in front of me. Or the thoughts that come into my head. Or the person to the right of me that brings up. And Satan loves to just bring things up because he knows our weaknesses. Think about all the times that you've maybe been in a position or circumstance that you did not expect that caused you to be tempted or seen something that you were not looking for. Or what about the trials and challenges of life that you face? As we see from the book of Job, some trials of life are actually part of the spiritual battle. Satan went to God and said, I want to torment Job. I think he'll fall and crumble. And God's like, no, he won't. And sure enough, Job, by the grace of God, even though he faced every human tragedy he still stayed firm in the faith of God and so that's an example that even sometimes not all sometimes trials of life are part of the spiritual battle and certainly our world is becoming more and more broken so there's some trials like a flat tire that may not be the demon like it may not be spiritual in nature so again we don't need to over spiritualize things but we do have to be recognizing that these things do happen and so there is a human hand in temptations because we see that our world is becoming more and more wicked. Um, talks about in scripture, the world, the flesh, the devil, how our flesh even causes us to sin so we don't have to blame Satan for everything. But again, there's this spiritual battle around us that still is contributing. But praise be to God, we have this, this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 which I encourage every single one of us to remember it because in the greatest time of need, in the greatest time of trial, in the greatest time of temptation, this verse is true. And it says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will, provide, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so similar to Eve, that passage I read before, Satan or any other human does not force you to sin. You are weak and you can give in to temptation and sin and praise be to God, there is forgiveness and restoration and we can repent, we can turn from and believe in Christ for salvation. But in addition to forgiveness after the fact, I wanted to remind us here that we have the opportunity to not sin in the first place every single time. There is not one time or trial or temptation that you have no other choice but to sin. Because as it says here, that God always provides a way out. Whether you take that way out, that's up to you. That's free will. That's will you submit to God or will you um, submit to the evil one, to submit to the, your desires? And so God gives us a way out. Are you asking him to show you the way out of that temptation in the moment? Or are you giving into it? And I'm so thankful that it doesn't say, like, you got to figure it out like a maze or like that escape room, those things like panic makes. I'm like, I never win these things. 
But there's, if we ask God for help, if we pray in the moment of temptation, in the mo- moment of trial, where we feel like we have no uh, energy left, that we have no strength left, that God will show us the way out. He'll lead us to the way out of sin. And just think of all the times where we have sinned, and I know I can speak many times where there's just grief after I've sinned, after I've messed up, after I've said the thing or thought the thing or did the thing that I knew was wrong, but I still did it. Think of all those times where we can avoid those things if we just remember this truth, this scripture, that the temptations and trials that we face are not out of our control. They're in God's control, and he will give us the way out. And so I'd encourage you all to memorize this scripture hold it close to your heart as uh, Luke 4 and Jesus being tempted by Satan he used scripture to get out of temptation and as we should as well and for those who have fell into sin and fell into them temptations time and time again don't leave this place discouraged that you'll never be able to resist um God is able, I know in my life that he's been giving me the victory in so many areas where 10 years ago I would say I could never get out of. But God can give us the way out. God does forgive us. God does purify us, cleanse us through the work of his son, Jesus. And so for those who've seen that you're just, you're dead, you can't do it, and you just want to give up in the battle, be encouraged that God is the one who's helping you. God is the one who can step down and lift you up. Um, and give you the strength, and give you the energy, and place your trust in Jesus, the one who died for you, who took the place of your sins, so those sin that you fell to, that you wish you didn't, could be wiped clean, as if they have never happened by the work of Jesus. So we go on to some other spiritual battles, and this was mentioned before, but I think a heavy spiritual battle that we're facing today in our world is false teaching. And we just read this verse, but I want to put it up on the screen again. I'm not going to read it. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. And remember that verse 14, it says that for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light, equating false teaching with Satan. And false teaching can come in many shapes and sizes. Uh, is a teacher preaching the truth? So it sounds good, but if they are living a hypocritical life, the scripture says that it is that person is a false teacher. Is a teacher preaching about how when we follow Jesus, we'll be promised money, success, success, health, and prosperity, etc. That is a false teacher. Are they teaching nothing about our sin and depravity, but just that we are pretty good people and deserving of love? Again, that is a false teacher, because that is not the truth. We are not pretty good. Are they teaching that there is another way to salvation outside of Jesus? And there's so many people, and especially going on the campuses and, and, and hearing what people are believing these days, it, it's all about, yes, Jesus is one way, could be one way, but there's also others. Again, that is false teaching if there is any way to salvation outside of Jesus alone. And are they saying clearly defined sins in the Bible are okay to keep doing? Again, false teaching. Are they teaching what we can just, that we can just accept Jesus, but don't change anything? So just say this prayer and don't change anything in your life. I literally heard that in person at a large church in New York City. So it's very real, these things today. And so in this spiritual battle that we are facing, that is from human hands, because we hear it from the human's mouth. Um, we don't hear like Satan or angels or demons speaking these things. This is a human uh, channel. But we need to be careful. In 1 John verse 4, verse 1, it says this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so it says to believe, do not believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. Test it with the word of God. If, if any bit of it is conflicting with the word of God, you need to either approach that person and clarify because there's misunderstandings, there's miscommunications, absolutely. But test it with the word of God. This is the thing that we have to test on. And this is what I would hope you test me on. If you disagree with something on me, please come and we can talk about it according to the scripture. And that's why I'm trying to use so much scripture because I don't want to just come up with ideas. I want to use the word of God, which I know is true uh, forever and ever. And so 
as we deal with this false teaching, we shouldn't just go and like light the false teacher buildings on fire. Like we don't need to do physical violence because as we mentioned, this is a spiritual battle. The response to false teaching, teaching is to preach the truth. Not only as preachers, but as, as each and every believer in the workplace, in the stores, in the home Bible studies, whatever it might be, that we need to proclaim the truth and nothing but the word of God. Amen. And so, yes, we can be, be, uh, be, aware, be aware of the false teaching. We don't have to dwell on the false teaching because, to be honest, I'm not worried about false teachers because they're going to fail. But I, I can bring the word of truth, which is the power of Christ in us. So the goal of, of response to false teaching is not, like, just go throw everyone under the bus. The goal is to go preach the truth. Let the truth um, and the light Weed out the darkness, and God will win that battle of the truth. All right, and then the next battle that we see, and this is definitely something that I'm seeing more and more in the six, last six months as I was just contemplating these things, is the war for the souls of mankind, um, especially non-believers that are being pursued by God. And we see in Revelations that God knocks on the doors of people's hearts. And I'm seeing this more and more. They go, people go from intre not interested to interested in the gospel, that God's clearly doing a work, but then they're wrestling over if they can believe Jesus or confess and repent of a sin, but then they turn away. I hear people consistently, surprisingly, say, I want to get right with God, and then a week later, totally does not care. I can't have any other explanation except there's a spiritual battle going on within their hearts. And this is going on and on. And, and certainly you see it more if, if you're going out on the streets or if you're sharing the gospel with your coworkers or your family or whatever it might be. But there is a raging battle that is happening around us that we need to be aware of for the souls that God is pursuing. Because there is nothing more than Satan would want is to restrict people from going to God. Because he, he knows that God is more authoritative and he does not want more worshipers of God. But to the contrary, for us as Christians, we want more people to worship God because he is worthy and he alone is worthy. And so people seem so excited to hear and learn of the gospel. They seem to have faith, but they keep running back to their former life. They keep hanging on to their addiction. Something keeps coming up every time there's Bible study. And sometimes they're legitimate, but sometimes they're made up and certainly, but sometimes it's legitimate of like, why did that have to happen when they were about to hear the gospel? And I can't help but think that there is a battle that is raging for them. And it's consistent with the scriptures. And so my question to you is, are you in the battle for souls? Are you interceding in prayer on their behalf? And I'm not talking about that one time, but consistently. Are you pursuing them as the hands and feet of God to point them back to Jesus, even when they fall backwards? A person's eternity is at stake. Is that worth it to you? And secondly, is God worthy enough to have one more worshiper in his kingdom? And just think about if you were trying to, as an analogy, trying to rescue someone in grave danger, say on a deserted island and you had to swim out or get a boat. You try once and the wind blows you back and they, ha, ah, they'll be fine or I give up. We certainly wouldn't do that. If it's someone we love, we're going to get back up and try every day until we get it there. Even if it doesn't work, we're going to do it until, we're, until we get there. In the same way, we as Christians sometimes, well, I reached out to that person to invite them once, so I did my duty, I give up. Honestly, shame on us, and I'm guilty of that too. And so if we are, are serious about loving of other people, if we're serious that we really do want more worshipers of God, then we are going to be persistent as God is persistent with us. Think of how many times God has pursued you and knocked on your door of your heart and mind. And how many times we've resisted. So be the hands and feet of God to go and to love people, to invite people, to share the good news with them. And so treat someone's eternity just as much, if not more precious, as if you would save their physical life as well. So we go on to spiritual warfare, and this one I'm going to be very close on, uh, quick on. The, the geopolitical realm, um, I don't want to get into politics, honestly. Um, but we can see that there's an agenda we see that there's things working behind the scenes. 
um, that is not of this physical realm, that there is a heavenly realm in this process. Certainly, we need to vote. We need to make truth known. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to fall into conspiracies and things like that. But I, I would say it's a truth and a fact, both in the book of Daniel, as we saw, but God is also in a battle in the realms of the geopolitical era. But we can take encouragement in Romans 13, 1. It talks about how no authority except is, is in power except that, that which God has established. So if God wants to dethrone someone, he'll do it in a moment. He can do that very quickly. And so as a response to geopolitical events, our, our response should not be just 100% focused on political things and watching the news because honestly, it will hinder our walk with God at times. Um, do not be paralyzed in fear. Do not get caught up in conspiracies. Um, rather, the response is to pray, to not be deceived, and focus on the weapons that we have, which is focusing on living out in our lives and sharing the gospel, which is true. And that is what we know is true and will never fail, never pass away. The kings and kingdoms will pass away until Jesus takes his ultimate reign. Um, but we do see the reality of there is a spiritual realm in the geopolitical as well. All right, and then if we go on the spiritual realm, um, it's taught, we also are um, one part of the spiritual battle that we will not see physically, but I believe is a, is a result of it, is um, being lulled to sleep, to complacency, to comfort. And I would say that we are in a spiritual war, which is a truth as we know. What is the most ineffective warrior? Just think about it. One who is asleep. You can do nothing when you are asleep. You cannot fight back, you cannot protect anyone, you cannot protect yourself. And the only slightly better one is one who is complacent, sitting on a couch, not sharpening their weapons or skills. Satan is smart. He's going to make that bed extra comfortable. He's going to make that desire of the world extra appealing so that we would not be aware of what is going on around us. All over the world, but I can speak for America especially, one of the greatest challenges of Christians in the spiritual realm is complacency and comfort. Think about it. How many times have we neglected to study the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, a weapon of spiritual warfare? How many times do we not seek to grow our faith, shield of faith? How many times have you not put on our shoes and share the gospel, which in Ephesians 6, the readiness of the gospel shoes? How many times do we blindly believe what people say rather than seek what is true, which is the belt of truth in Ephesians 6. A lot of times those reasons are because we get lazy and comfortable. And I can speak on that personally myself because every single week it feels like I'm in this battle of complacency, of laziness, of, oh, I just want to rest. And yes, there's certain, certainly Sabbath rest. We could do that another time. But I would say more often than not, the challenge for Americans are actually being complacent and lazy and comfortable in our faith rather than being realizing that we are in a war. 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so there is a song that actually talks about God being a roaring lion, but it's interesting that there's also a verse that says the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. And so he is around, we have to be sober-minded, we have to be watchful, we have to be awake. This doesn't mean you have to stay up 24-7 because God knows we need sleep, but a, a, our mindset needs to be sober. We need to not uh, be caught up in things of the world. We need to be aware of the spiritual battle around us, be watchful of what is God doing and how can I join in God's work. And so at the same time Satan is prowling, God is also right there and we can join him. And we won't turn there, but 2 Kings 6, if you want to read it later, gives an account. It's awesome. There's uh, Elisha and his servant. There's an enemy army, and the servants, and everyone's really, like, panicked and scared. Uh, and Elisha's like, what? Nothing's wrong. Like, everything's going to be okay. And little did we know, he saw God's angel armies on the hills, far greater than the enemy. And Elisha prayed for his servant and said, God, open his eyes to see what you are doing. And sure enough, the servant's eyes was opened and saw 
Um, God's army's right there. And I think it's just a beautiful picture of us that we get so panicked and so scared of the battle, so scared and overwhelmed with what life is throwing at us. But if we only saw the battle or the army that God has on our side, the, the power that God has, we would be encouraged. In Ephesians 5, 13 to 17 says this, which I think is, is an exhortation to us. It says this, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I love how it talks, it quotes this saying of awaking, O sleeper. And I think it's fitting for this point of our, our complacency in the Christian walk, that we aren't desiring growth, that we're just kind of relaxing and cruising through Christendom, cruising through until heaven rather than being ready to be in the fight. And it exhorts us to look how we walk. And the decisions in life that we make impact the spiritual warfare that, we, that is waged against us. And I'm not talking about what you have for breakfast, whether you have cereal or eggs, do whatever you want. I mean, we have free will. So I don't want to over-spiritualize things. But at the same time, the hobbies that you take up, the jobs you apply to, the time you spend on the weekends, the people that you spend the most time with, what you do with your free time, those things affect the spiritual battle. Those things affect eternal things, both in your heart and the heart of those around us. And I was just talking to someone this week of just kind of questioning of like, is this hobby okay? Is this hobby glorifying to God? And that's an awesome question because a lot of times God, God's like, yeah, like if this gives you life and, and uh, is helpful, then do it. Awesome. But we should all be questioning of is what we're doing in life um, honoring to God is what we're doing in life, what the will of the Lord is, as it said in verse 17. It says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So in response to complacency, we need to awaken, be aware of what is going on around us, and be in obedience, walk with the Lord. And will we make decisions that are effective for God's kingdom, or will we be maybe saved, but rendered useless in effectiveness for the kingdom of God? And this, to lead, uh, go to God in prayer of those things. Talk with someone who's walking with Jesus, and God will lead you kind of what your life should look like. He is good. And on that note, um, the last thing I wanted to share about as, as application is prayer. And, and I save this for last because I would say this is the most important one thing that we can do in the midst of a spiritual battle that is within us and also around us. We are calling on God to win the battles. We do not win the battles as we saw in the book of Joshua. God is the one who gives us victory. We are crying out that he would pour out his grace, his power. We are pleading that he would show mercy to us and those around us. We are pleading that he would win the battle of the heart that is being sought after by God, that is hearing the gospel and hearing the word of God, but is keep being pushed away by Satan, by the enemy, by the world. So we pray to God for this. And uh, I, I always think, especially when doing street evangelism and things like that, like my enemy's not the person in front of me. And that's why I don't need to get mad at them, even if they're screaming at me or throwing stuff at me. It doesn't matter because I know that there is a battle that is greater than them and greater than me. But thanks be to God, God is on our side and we can be in boldness and confidence going to God in prayer. So the response is not to just get, let him have it and like, yeah, I'm going to yell at him on the streets or whatever like that, or I'm going to yell at my coworker and say he's a, he's a deceiver and all these things. Go to God in prayer and he will work in those hearts. But unfortunately, as believers, and I would say especially in our culture of comfort and complacency, oftentimes, what is the response instead of prayer? Well, I prayed about it once, so God knows Checked it off the box, I'm good to go. And we talked about that as young adults. I'm pretty sure every one of us have been guilty of that, and I'm sure many of us are here too. Or maybe sometimes we doubt God that, oh, well, I prayed, and maybe even for years, and God did not answer, so our faith decreases. Or maybe we just are not prayers, and we take it into our hands, and we're going to go really stick it to the guy. And do we realize that 
the power of God is not from us. I know that sounds simple, but God doesn't just save us and now we have the power of God. We need to daily go to God for filling. And so my question is, are we actually praying? And I'm not talking about praying while we mow the lawn, but are we praying undistractedly, spending time with just you and God, crying out to him and letting him speak to you and to fill you and you standing in the gap for that person that you want to be saved or that person, that believer that is going through a trial? Are you praying on behalf of them? And this is a famous passage on spiritual warfare, but I think it's important for the prayer portion. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 to 20 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly, as I ought to speak. And so here it's saying praying all times in the spirit, even if you're driving or mowing the lawn, but we also need to come with him alone to God and, and seek out his wisdom, his will, and we can bring our requests and make them known to him. For he wants to hear us and wants to deliver us and deliver those around us. But notice here in this passage too, it's calling us to prayer, to be alert, to make supplication, pray with other saints, but also pray for me that the gospel can go out. And I think that's just such an important aspect that we are called to pray. And then in response to prayer, our greatest offensive weapon in the spiritual realm is the gospel. And if you remember Ephesians chapter 6, um, the, the spiritual armor, very famous. The only weapon that we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that we need to, to understand the word of God and to share the word of God. We don't need to come up with crazy arguments and crazy philosophies and all these like methods and things like that. Just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that he alone is our salvation. And so this spiritual battle that we are in, it may seem intimidating and in some cases even scary, even you're feeling unworthy. Um, as it says in John, um, Jesus says, take heart because he has overcome the world. And that is past tense. So he has already overcome the world. And we know this will happen in fullness, that there will be no other enemy eventually, as it prophesies in Revelations. And we're going to, you can read on your own chapter 12, um, but for the sake of time, we won't read that verse. But chapter 12 is beautiful, showing Satan um, being cast out of heaven. Right now, he has access to go to heaven to talk to God or whatever he does in his deception, but he is cast down. Um, but then in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 10, it says this, and if we could bring this up on the screen. It says, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that sounds like a very morbid ending. Um, but I think it's awesome because God is the one who declares victory. And it can be scary, war, and even the 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 horrible wars that are happening today, it seems like it will never end. It seems like, how could God allow this? But there will be a day when he puts all these things to rest. And we know the end of the war. We don't know sometimes in this world who's going to win the battle, which country is going to prevail. We don't know. But this spiritual battle, we know where it started. We know Satan tried to seek God's power. God rejected and God in the end here it says that he will take over that he will win and and put the devil away forever and there will be peace and I look forward to that day because man sometimes the battle in this life is weary the times that we fall in temptations the time where people turn away from God um, it's it's heartbreaking it's it's heavy on our hearts and I I know it is for me but we know that in the end Satan will be defeated. God will reign. And as the last time I preached a few months ago, um, Revelation chapter 4, we can see the throne room of God worshiping him forever and ever, ever. And we can say, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty, and I can't wait for that day. But I would challenge us until that day that we um, would remember that the battle has been won. It will become to full completion. Will we be on God's side? And if you have not put your faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, you are the only way to forgive me, you are the victor, you are the King of kings, the God Almighty, then come to him and pray to him. Come talk to me. Come find someone today here that you would be on God's side because he is, has arms wide open and he loves you. And the key in spiritual warfare for those that are saved is Jesus himself. He is the one who conquered death itself on the cross by rising again, proving that he has won. He has defeated death, the greatest enemy, and he will defeat and judge the evil one. And you need, and I need, to go to God in prayer, to go to God in obedience, to trust him for the victory that only he can give. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you um, have declared victory, that you have shown victory by coming to this earth, Lord, that it was not greater than yourself to humble yourself to come down here, Lord, um, to be in the battle with us, to be tempted. Lord, so thank you for these reminders, these truths. Um, and God, we pray for all of us, Lord, in the midst of the battle that is around us, that we would be faithful that we would not be complacent, that we would not be deceived, um, but that we would trust in your word, trust in your gospel, that we would pray continually that you would win the battle of our hearts, of our flesh, of our mind, and also the battles of the hearts of those around us, God. Lord, we pray for people to be saved, Lord, those that we know, family members, friends, co-workers, Lord, there is probably hundreds, if not thousands of people that we are actively ministering or praying to, Lord, and we pray for their souls, Lord, that you would, that we would intercede on behalf of them, that we would stand in the gap, that they might know you, Jesus. Lord, the goal for that is purely to make more worshipers for you, God. Lord, we know that you are worthy of every single soul worshiping you, God. Um, and so we pray that you would do your work in them. And Lord, strengthen us for the battle. We pray for the people that are just feel weak, feel done, just want to give up. Um, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts and souls, God, and that you would fill them with your spirit, who is the comforter, who is the strength within us, God. We praise things in your name, Jesus.